Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. How are you guys? Oh, that's nice. It's because it's a warm day, isn't it? Isn't this weather wonderful? I just love it. Hopefully you get to be outside today. Um, as Jen mentioned, we're, we're in actually, uh, let's see, 14 months into the book of Mark. We've gone through so much. We're, we're kind of rounding the end. We're going to finish up at Easter time. And, and, and just to kind of give you some context for where we're at in this particular passage today, Mark chapter 14, uh, Jesus was in the, the upper city. That's in the, kind of the southwest corner of, of Jerusalem, inside the walls. He's eaten the Last Supper at a home there. He goes out. He goes across the city, down to, through the old city. He traverses through the Kidron Valley and ends up in an olive grove on the Mount of Olives, and that's, that's where he has this experience where one of his students who has turned on him brings some people to arrest him. And he's arrested, he's taken back over the Kidron Valley, up into the gates of the big city, and back up to the upper part where the high priest's house is. His name is Caiaphas. And last week, Pastor John began speaking about the, the religious trial that goes on in Caiaphas's house. And um, what we have going on here, it's kind of interesting, this particular story that we look at tonight, we have kind of a, a Downton Abbey kind of experience going on. Anyone here a Downton Abbey like fan? Okay. I'm, I'm going to give you the max amount that I know about Downton Abbey because it's very minimal, but it's on in my house a lot, and I pass by, and so <clears throat> I, don't, I don't really see uh, much. But the show Downton Abbey, it's set in a fictional Yorkshire country estate on Downton Abbey between the years 1912 and 1926. And it depicts the lives of this aristocratic family, the Crawley family, and their domestic servants. But what's interesting is it's framed, it jumps back and forth between upstairs and downstairs. The aristocratic family lives upstairs. The servants live downstairs. And you're supposed to see this like intertwining of drama back and forth between the upstairs and the downstairs. That's what we have going on with what we talked about last week. There's this religious <clears throat> a trial going on in Caiaphas' home up there. And then there's this outside downstairs courtyard where the guards are, the servants are. And that's where Peter has found his way into. So you're supposed to go back and forth between these two uh, locations where the drama is unfolding. So that's where we pick up in the downstairs part of the courtyard, Mark chapter 14, verse 66. We read this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, that's the downstairs part, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, we learned earlier that there was a charcoal fire there. And he's warming himself as the cool of the day is there. 
she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he, Peter, denied it, saying, "I I neither know nor understand what you mean. And then he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him later and began again to say to the bystanders, this, this man, he, he's one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while later, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you're one of them for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately... The rooster crowed second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Fascinating story. Let's take a step back. Um, Peter Peter is a giant in the early church. I mean, huge. His, His role that he plays in this burgeoning church uh, growing is significant. Our, our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters would say he was actually the first pope. <clears throat> but either way, he was a significant figure in the early church, and it spread. If you were standing at Pentecost, I don't know if you've ever read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, it's the birth of the church. In Acts chapter 2, Paul stands there, all of the diaspora Jews who were spread all over the world came there for a pilgrimage. They're all there. He stands up. He preaches this message about who this Jesus is. And we're told 3,000 Jewish followers of Jesus recognize Jesus as the Messiah. 3,000 people respond. And if you were standing there and you asked yourself this, what was the launching pad of Peter's effectiveness? What was the launching pad of Jesus's... of Peter's usefulness <clears throat> to God and to the church. What's he, you know, we might have some options. We might say, well, maybe it was when he was at Caesarea Philippi. He's there, and you remember that this is like the grotto of Pan, and uh, Zeus the god is worshipped there, dark history in the Old Testament. And Jesus says to his followers, who do men say that I am? And one person, ah, oh, prophet, John the Baptist. But who do you say that I am? And, and, and it's only Peter whose courage, he says, you're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the chosen one. And Jesus goes, you got it. Or, or maybe we would go to the time that Jesus was invited only one of three, Peter, James, and John, one of three to go up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. I think it was probably Mount Hermon. And there, the curtains pulled back on Jesus' glory. He gets to see this glory. Moses shows up and Elijah shows up and it's just Finn. Maybe that was the launching point of Peter's effectiveness and ministry. Um, But I want to submit something different to you this morning. I want to suggest to you that at least a large portion of what's attributed to Peter's usefulness to God can actually come back to this failure moment. This scene right here where Peter's brokenness and and failure is just um, there for all to see. I want to say it like this. The future usefulness of Peter is tied, at least in significant measure, to the brokenness of Peter. 
Um, <clears throat> Sir Edward William Elgar, he was an English composer, wrote music, songs uh, from like the 1850s through the 1930s. And once he was invited to listen to one of the songs that he had written, a soloist, a, a girl, a young girl, and she was singing one of his songs. And the story goes that she had a beautiful voice, pitch perfect, technique was wonderful. And afterwards, the person who had invited Sir Elgar said, what did you think? What's your assessment of her? And he responded with these words, she will be great when something happens to break her heart. <laughs> she will be great when something happens to break her heart. See, her skill, her pitch, her voice, her technique still needed an element in order to transform who she was, not just her voice. And see, I would suggest that our, our, our current cultural moment is largely unwilling to embrace this sort of an idea. Even in churches, you know, uh, our, many churches are, are, are plagued with what's called the prosperity gospel. This idea that God's primary concern for you, the thing that he cares most about, is that you have a cushy life, <laughs> that your pocketbook is full, your bank <clears throat> statement looks great, your health is at the very top, and there's no sorrows, no hurts. <clears throat> um, that's a plague to the church. But we in the West, again, we don't like this. We recoil at the notion that brokenness may be the key to usefulness in the kingdom of God. And so we show off our lives like a beautifully written resume, right? Even the negative things, we kind of put a good spin on them. Um, <clears throat> I watched the show The Office. It, like, I'm not high fluting up here, you know, down Abbey. I'm down here, okay? The, the television show, The Office, main character in there, Michael Scott, he's the manager, riddled with insecurities. He's like the most insecure human being on the world, and he's always kind of putting forth this like false version of himself because he wants people to love him so desperately. There's this one scene in, in one of the episodes where he's being interviewed for a higher-up position, and the question is asked of him, well, what are, what are your greatest weaknesses as a manager? And he says, well, I work too hard, I care too much, and sometimes I'm too invested in my job. You know, that's, that's kind of how we tend to approach even our weaknesses. Even the things we do badly, we do wonderfully badly, right? <clears throat> this is what led uh, Peggy Noonan, writer in the Wall Street Journal, back in 2009, she wrote this. For 30 years, the self-esteem movement told the young they're perfect in every way. It's yielding something new in history, she says. An entire generation with, listen to this, no proper sense of inadequacy. My hope for you today is that you have a proper sense of inadequacy. My hope for my children is that they have a proper sense of their inadequacy, proper sense of inadequacy. See, Peter's life up until this point, if, if there's one word to describe Peter, 
at least up until this point, audacity. You know that word, audacity? Uh, <clears throat> there's, a, um, there's a Yiddish word, chutzpah. Anyone here speak Yiddish? Um, <clears throat> Yiddish word is chutzpah. It's this sort of like false bravado, this false sense of um, I've got it all together. At, um, at, at the very best, audacity or chutzpah, it's reckless courage at, at the best. At the worst, though, it's like arrogant self-confidence. It's, it, it's not having that proper sense of inadequacy. I'm indebted to this content to Pastor Begg. He suggests that when you look at this particular moment in Peter's life, you see a turning. It's like a fulcrum moment. There's his life before, there's this, and then sort of his life after. And that these three periods can be described with three words. His life prior to this, audacity. This moment, disloyalty. And he lives going forward in recovery. Audacity, disloyalty, and recovery. Consider just a little bit of Peter's audacity. If you remember back in Mark chapter 8, when uh, Jesus and his followers go to Caesarea Philippi that we talked about earlier, and after, Jesus, after Peter's bold statement, Jesus says, uh, I'm going to have to go to, his, go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be uh, beaten, and I'm going to be rejected by the religious leaders, and I'm going to die. And we're told Peter pulled him aside, and this is the exact language Mark uses, Peter rebuked him. He meant rebuking Jesus. Peter <clears throat> rebukes him. Or if you remember when we were in Mark 14, verse <clears throat> 27, Jesus predicts this falling away. He says, you will all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd, they will be scattered. After I'm raised up, I'll go before you. Peter again says, even if they do, like, yeah, the other 10, that's believable. They're not there. Not me. There's no way I would ever fall away. <clears throat> Peter tells Jesus he's wrong. You're wrong in your assessment of me. Jesus, and then he even sets himself apart from the other 10. Yeah, I understand, you know, they would do that. I would never stoop to that level. Or back in the Garden of Gethsemane, who is it that pulls out his short sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant? It's Peter. Even though Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this world, then there'd be reason to have swords. And yet Peter has the audacity to do this. Now let's, let's look more closely at, at the Downton Abbey downstairs in the courtyard that's going on here with Peter. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 54, Pastor John read this last week. Peter had followed Jesus, him, at a distance right into the courtyard of the priest. And he was sitting with the guards warming himself at the fire. That's actually pretty gutsy. I mean, like, before we give any criticism of Peter, um, he's the only one of the ten who has followed. Judas has gone for good. The other ten are behind locked doors. Peter is staying true to his word so far. He said, even if they leave, I'll follow you. He is doing that here. 
His audacity has gotten him this far. But he doesn't realize his vulnerability. He's, he's completely unaware of his vulnerability. If you remember back in the garden when Jesus asked his disciples, pray with me, and he goes away three times and comes back and he finds them sleeping each time. And then, and then Jesus says to Peter, the spirit is willing. I know your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. And Peter still hasn't really understood what that means, what that is going to look like in his life, that his flesh is weak. He underestimates his weakness. That's his vulnerability. He underestimates his weakness. Peter illustrates a truth that I think we all need to have in the back of our minds all the time. Even the best of men are men at best. Even the best of women are women at best. We need to have in mind the the frailty of what it means to be a fallen human being, an imager of God, but fallen and deeply broken and weak. So if, if, if the word audacity captures Peter's life up until this point, the word that best fits this particular turn moment is disloyalty. <clears throat> disloyalty. I think of uh, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let not anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. Let he who stands take heed lest he falls. Peter did not take heed <laughs> about his ability to fall. He is certain. He, is, he has psychological certainty that he will not cave, he will not break, he will not be unfaithful. And it's a, this is a reminder to us, you guys, that you and I can spend years building our character, uh, building our reputation, but yet in a matter of moments destroy it. Just a matter of moments. It happens to many. There's a, uh, back in August uh, 23, 2011, there was an earthquake that hit Washington, D.C. and Virginia. It was a 5.8 on, on, on the Richter scale. It wasn't huge, but it was enough to rock the foundation of the National Cathedral in D.C. And what was interesting is after this happened, you know, they put out advertisements and promotions of, uh, we're looking for donations because we want to refurbish the National cathedral. And the tagline that they used in their promotion was this, see the lifelong impact a few seconds can make. See the lifelong impact a few seconds can make. The earthquake lasted literally seconds, but it was enough to rock the very foundation of the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. You know, Pastor John mentioned last week that um, we know the author of this gospel, Mark, one of his primary sources was Peter himself. That means Peter would have told Mark this particular story. I was so confident. Oh, I was so sure that I wouldn't fall. And yet I did. And I... And I uh, I denied Jesus with curses. I completely broke. 
So let's make some observations about Peter's dialogue in the courtyard. Jumping back into the text, Mark 14, verse 66, we read this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him. She said, you were with the Nazarene. Um, Peter's identifiable to this girl somehow. In the, maybe in the light of the fire, she recognized the face that she had seen that week. Uh, Jesus and, and his disciples had been making quite a buzz in Jerusalem that entire week. Maybe she just recognized something about him. If, if, if you were from Galilee, uh, you had a different accent than people who were in Jerusalem. Your clothing would have been a little different. Something was a giveaway. And what's interesting is that she says, um, you were with him. Now, if you remember when, when uh, Mark records when Jesus first called his students, do you remember what he said? He said, uh, he called them to follow him and to be with him. So this core care, key, key characteristic, of being with Jesus, she goes, you were with him. And then he denies that very thing. First denial, he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. He changes locations, <laughs> if you remember. Verse 68, he denied it. I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went into the gateway. So he changes locations. Rooster crows first time, that should have been a wake-up call. Nope. When you have uh, this level of chutzpah, you're not being woken up very easily. Verse 69, the servant girl saw him, began to say to the bystanders, this man, it's one of them. That is, he's a disciple. He denied. He said, I am not a disciple of Jesus. So the first denial, I don't know what you're talking about. Second denial, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And after a little while, the bystanders say, well, yeah, certainly you're with him. But verse 71, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man of whom you speak. When it says a curse, he, he, he's not cussing. This is the idea of calling on something higher and greater than yourself to affirm your denial and to say something like, if I'm lying, may I be cut off from the people of Israel. If I'm lying, may I be damned. Um, or I, I, I swear by the temple. I swear by the presence of God in the temple. If you remember, Jesus taught his students something about that. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't swear by things higher than you. Be a, be a person of truth that when you say yes, it means yes. And when you say no, it means no. <clears throat> so Peter's failures are compounding here. And what makes this so dramatic is just in verse 29, remember he had said, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even I have to die, I'm willing to do that. Verse 72 and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. Peter, he remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So Peter followed, he denied, he remembered, and he wept. And chapter four ends. We don't really hear much Anything more about 
Peter, one tiny little thing at the very end. Mark never tells us what happened. But um, if you remember the late, great Paul Harvey, remember his tagline? And now, for the rest of the story, right? We get that as we go to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John, the others. They tell us more about what happened. But we see audacity marked his life early on. We see disloyalty and how Mark ends it here. But the rest of the story is his recovery. Luke records something very interesting. This is little detail. It's interesting how different gospel writers add or omit certain things because it's not important to them or it is important to them. Luke says this in Luke 22, 60. Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And look what, look what Luke concludes. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Their eyes met. Wouldn't that have been interesting? <clears throat> he turned and looked at him. <clears throat> we don't know when Jesus did this. Was it during the trial? Was it af- during the beatings? Was it after the beatings as he was being taken out? But he turns. Jesus, though he's in the upstairs of Downton Abbey, he has in mind who's in the downstairs and what's going on. He's concerned about them as well as what is happening upstairs. Um, What did Peter see, I wonder, when he looked into Jesus' eyes? I don't know. I know what he didn't see, though. What he didn't see when he looked into Jesus' eyes is, Peter, you're such a waste of my time. I'm, I'm, I'm just so disappointed in you. You disgust me. Really? He didn't see, after all I've done for you, this is how you treat me. <laughs> you know why we know that? Because none of Peter's sins surprised God. That's why he's constantly predicting, you're going to do it. And afterwards, here's what I want you to do. Romans 5.8 is this great passage where Paul writes, God shows his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. When you wanted nothing to do with God, that's when he wanted you. So all the more now that if you're adopted into the family, do your mistakes put your family standing in question? Absolutely not. But we have that fear. We live oftentimes with that worry. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. This was prior to this. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have been restored, he says, strengthen the brothers. That's so cool. Jesus knew Peter. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows me. He knows your stumblings. He knows your weak points. He's not surprised by any of them. He wants you to move on to greater strength, but he's not shocked. He understands your humanity. I mentioned there's a tiny indication about Peter's future at the end of the book of Mark and the recovery and restoration. Let me read for you that tiny little, this is the last reference to Peter in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 5. 
This is post-resurrection. <clears throat> the women enter the tomb. They see a young man. We find out later that it's an angelic being. Sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they're alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. See the place where they lay him. Now listen to this. But go, tell his disciples, what are the next two words? And Peter. My guess is this was Peter's favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> go tell the disciples and, oh, addendum, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Now, here's my question. Wouldn't it have been sufficient if God had told this angelic being, go tell them to tell the disciples to go meet him? Well, yeah, Peter's one of the disciples. Well, in Peter's mind, though, what is Peter thinking? Remember when he was asked, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his? I said, no. By curses, I said, I don't even know that man. May I be damned if I'm wrong, is what he said. Peter could be wondering, I don't know if I am. Maybe I'm not accepted anymore. Maybe I'm out. And so God's real careful. He says, when you go bring the message, don't just say the disciples. Add Peter in particular. I want Peter to hear his underscore, highlight, italicize the message when it comes to Peter because I do not want there to be any question in Peter's mind. Isn't that wonderful? That is so wonderful. If there's any doubt, he wipes it away. See, Peter's story, this is what's so cool. Peter's story didn't end at that charcoal fire in the downstairs courtyard of Caiaphas's house when his faith seems to collapse. You know why? Because there's another charcoal fire waiting. Go to John chapter 21 on your own this week. I don't have time to read it all. John chapter 21, he tells a story. He says, post-resurrection, they haven't seen Jesus yet. There's been rumors, but they don't know if it's true or not. And Peter just, he feels deflated. He feels like a loser. He says, I guess I'll go fishing. That's what I used to do before. And his friend said, I guess, I guess we'll go with you. They go out, they fish all night long, <clears throat> catch nothing. Just as the sun is coming up, over the Golan Heights on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, there's a man standing over on the shore and he calls out, he says, have you, have you caught any? And they go, no. And he says, throw your nut on the other side. You know, that's ridiculous. You're out in a lake, giant lake, like the fish are on this side and not that side. Okay. They throw their nets out, huge catch. They pull it in. As they're pulling it in, they remember another time this happened. And John, the disciple, looks at the guy on the beach, and he says to Peter, that's the master. And Peter puts on his robe, jumps into the water, doesn't even wave the boat, swims his way to the shore. And he runs up, and Jesus is sitting on the ground in front of a charcoal fire that he made. <laughs> what do you suppose Peter's mind went back to? The last time his eyes locked at a charcoal fire with Jesus is when he denied him. And here's Jesus, and he's preparing breakfast for them. He's got bread, and he's got fish. <laughs> and he says, sit down, eat with me. He gives them food. And then what we experience is this moment where 
Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus asks him a question three times. Peter, do you love me? In the Greek, there are different words for love. The, the, the highest, the most chutzpah claim of love is, do you agapao me? A lesser one is, do you phileo me? It's kind of like this in English. Peter, do you love me? And he goes, I like you. He goes, okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I like you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you like me? And he goes, you know everything, Jesus. You know I like you. And he goes, that's what I needed to hear. <laughs> Go feed my sheep. You're still of use. You're not rejected. <laughs> You're not yesterday's garbage. I want you, and I want you on my team. Peter's threefold denial is met with a opportunity for a threefold affirmation. And Peter meets Jesus here on the beach, and the story of his life, the fabric of, of, of his, his life, it's marked by the incident of his denial. It's not defined by it. And that's the big difference, coming to Jesus. You come to Jesus with all of your brokenness, your story's marked by that, sure. But Jesus says it doesn't have to be defined by it. See, the enemy would say all of those things, your disloyalties, your failures, your brokenness, that defines you. That is your identity at the core. And Jesus says, no, 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 I give you a new identity. <clears throat> those might be marks in your life. But remember, Peter, when you've been restored, strengthen the brothers. Get back to work. Step right back in. Years go by. Peter's an older man now. And he's writing letters to the Christians who are spread out around the Mediterranean world. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, he says this. He writes to them. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. That, that uh, lesson hurt him. I bet, that, I, bet, I bet that panged him a little bit when he said that. I, th I think it panged him because when I encourage people to be humble, my mind doesn't go to all the times I've been so humble. When I encourage someone to be humble, my mind goes to all the times I've been horribly prideful. And I would imagine when, Paul, or when Peter says this, and he writes to them, <clears throat> clothe yourselves in humility. Verse 6, he says, humble yourselves. Verse 7, he says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And verse 10, he says, listen to this. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. <laughs> and as Paul Harvey would say, now you know the rest of the story. Despite his collapse of faith, Peter was restored to usefulness. Many, many years later, he would die. Legend tells us that he was crucified upside down. He lives the rest of his life not with audacity, not with disloyalty, but in recovery. And the God who restored Peter 
He restores all sinners who repent. That's the offer. And the Jesus who, who knew Peter and knew his vulnerability is the Jesus, he knows you. He knows your vulnerability. He's not surprised. And he still calls you, come follow and be with me. Abide in me. And the really cool thing is this. God has the amazing ability, if you tether your life to him, to actually take those moments of disloyalty, of brokenness, failures, and to actually redeem them in such a way that out of them, through them, you can actually be a, a balm to other fellow travelers on the road. God can actually serve them through those broken places in your past, through those moments of disloyalty. He says, they're not going to define you. They will mark you, but I can re even redeem those things. There's nothing that I can't redeem. And as our worship team comes, I want us to do this. I want us to sing a song that is an anthem. And here's, the, here's, here's what we say in the anthem language of the song, is that if you're abiding in Christ, that is, if you have tethered your life to the person of Jesus, no matter what fires you might step into, no matter what floods might hit your life, there is another, capital A, there is another with you in the fire, in the flood, or whatever might come. And if you've tethered your life to the person of Jesus, those things, they won't overwhelm you. Your life is not defined by the brokenness and the failure because of the another. Let me pray with us. Heavenly Father, I, I pray specifically for my friends in this room who maybe have a past that is checkered by disloyalties of, of, of brokenness. Father, if, if they live in shame, God, would you encourage them to come to you, to run to the Father? Father, would you encourage us as, as we go into our, our futures that as we have moments of struggle and failure, that we never question our place in the family of God. But that again, we respond to your call to run to the Father. Lord, I'm grateful for what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you that we see in this story Jesus' response to Peter that lets us know the character of God, that lets us know what your heart is like, that lets us know how you respond to our failures. And Father, would you strengthen us? God, we long to abide in Christ and to not have these failures trip us up. Help us to know our vulnerabilities. Give us insight by your Holy Spirit to know the places where we're vulnerable, to not put ourselves into foolish situations which our weakness would cause us to fail. So grateful, Father. Thank you that we have another with us at every moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect.
Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.